I want to talk today about influence. About influence. I want to know who it is that you are influencing, and I want to know by whom you are being influenced. I'd like to say that perhaps influence is one of the most important parts of the world in which we live. Everyone is being influenced by somebody, and everybody is influencing somebody else, both officially and unofficially, whether you know it or not. And our scripture passage today is actually about influence. This is week number four and the fourth and final week of a sermon series we've been looking at, the prophet Elijah, God's fiery prophet. Last week, if you remember, if you were here, Elijah finds himself after an incredible triumph on Mount Carmel out in the desert, literally in the desert, but also in the desert, in the wilderness, emotionally and spiritually. He just wants his life to be over. He's, he's tired of doing his work. He wants to hang it all up. And there's this beautiful passage where he goes and stands in the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, and he has this spiritual experience. And I want to read a little bit of what we read last week and then go on to this week's passage as well. This is 1 Kings chapter 19, starting with verse 11. Elijah has been in the wilderness, and now he finds himself at the mountain of God. And the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks and pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a sound of sheer silence. In an old-fashioned translation it says, the sound of a still small voice. The sound that silence makes, is what the author is trying to tell us. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. And then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And this is what I want to focus on today. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. And whoever escapes from the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. And yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. That's where we ended last week, and here's the next part. So he, that is Elijah, set out from there, and he found Elisha. Similar name, so you've got to get the difference. Elijah is the older prophet, Elisha is the younger one. So he set out from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing. And there were 12 yoke of oxen ahead of him, and he was with the 12th. And commentators say, you know, that's pretty clear indication that Elisha was from a wealthy family. So there's 12 yoke of oxen. It's a lot of oxen plowing a field, but Elisha himself is only in charge of one of the teams, which means he has servants who are doing the rest. So he's a, he's a wealthy guy. And he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle over him. And the mantle is like, um, like, you know, a shepherd has a crook or like a king has a crown. A mantle is like this in the ancient world, this very symbolic piece of clothing. So it's very clear when he throws the mantle on him what he's saying, which is, I think, you can do what I do. So Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle over him. He left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. Then Elijah said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? 
let me just pause here and say that's a very strange phrase and we're not exactly sure what it means, but some commentators think it means something like, I'm not the one doing the choosing. I'm just the messenger. God is the one who chose you. So sure, take the time you need. You know, it's not about me. It's about God's work in your life. Or like, why are you asking me, Elisha? Of course you can talk to your parents. I'm not in charge. Something like that. It's sort of an idiomatic phrase, which is a little bit mysterious to us. Elijah says, go back, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him, and he took the yoke of oxen, and he slaughtered them. And using the equipment from the oxen, he boiled their flesh and gave it to the people, and they ate. So in other words, he's taking all that he is, his oxen, his wealth, and very symbolically, and nobody in his community would have missed it. He's saying, I'm leaving it all here, and I'm about to follow this new guy. He's, it's, he's all in, so to speak. Then he set out and followed Elijah and became his servant. Let's pray. God, in the midst of a season of fasting and privation, give us the hunger for you that we have when we're hungry for food. Give us a thirst for you that we have when we're thirsty for drink. And give us a desire for your work in our lives the way that we have a desire for sleep when we're tired. And speak now, Lord, through these next minutes. Amen. This passage is about influence. And it's based on one of the most obvious facts of human existence, something that's so obvious you and I often miss, and it's this. Nobody will live forever. Every single one of us is mortal, and our time, whether it's long or short on this earth, is not going to go on forever. So the question then is, who are you influencing to live in a certain way after you're gone, and by whom are you being influenced? Elijah is a mighty prophet of God. He is, in fact, maybe the mightiest prophet in the Old Testament. He does these incredible miracles that are extremely rare, not only in our day, but in, in, in his day as well. He, he's an incredible guy. And yet God's message to Elijah, when Elijah's up there on the mountain ready to turn it all in, is, Elijah, ultimately, it's not all about you. We talked about this last week. I want to use other people to continue my work in the world. And so one of Elijah's main jobs, then, is to find a successor and anoint him and teach him what it means to be a prophet of God. And we're skipping some verses, but later on we'll see that Elisha is uh, an apprentice to Elijah for about 18 years. So this is a long time. Elijah is teaching him all kinds of things. And I thought the idea of influence and legacy and, and, and what effect your life is going to have on other lives when you're gone will be an appropriate way to close our sermon series on Elijah. So with influence, there's two things that can happen. You can influence somebody else and you can be influenced by somebody else. And in fact, all of us have both things happening to us all the time, whether we know it or not. So first I want to talk about being an Elijah and having influence over somebody else. Have you ever actually considered what kind of influence you are having in your family life, in your work life, among your friends? How are you influencing people? I think one of the saddest things in the world is a story of a life full of promise who comes under the wrong sorts of influences and, and goes in the wrong direction. Lots of our stories and literature and movies are filled with these sorts of examples. My son has been, we've been reading to my son the story of Pinocchio recently, or as he likes to say, Nokio. And Nokio, if you've ever read the book or seen the movie, is a little wooden boy who becomes uh, under the influence of some of the bad, as my little son's book says, the bad kids. And if you've ever seen the movie, well, I thought this, my wife pointed this out, 
It's actually not a great example to show to small kids because when they go to Pleasure Island with all the bad kids, they're like smoking and throwing rocks. My son's book has examples of these little boys throwing rocks through the windows. And we're thinking, I don't know if this is what we really want our son to see. Even if as adults, we know it's a negative example. Kids may miss that nuance. But anyway, Pinocchio, of course, falls under bad influence. In the book, he gets turned into a donkey and he has a lot of problems. That's a kid's book. But that's also a part of lots of our adult stories. If you've ever seen The Godfather, you've seen an example of influence and how it steers a life in the wrong direction. There's the old Godfather, Don Corleone, who has made his living and his wealth doing evil things, making the world a worse place to be. And his oldest son, Sonny, is groomed a father into his father's footsteps, and he becomes the next Godfather. But the youngest son, Michael, is somebody of obvious courage and intelligence. In fact, he's a war hero in World War II. And when he comes back after the war, the family don't want him to be a part of the family business. But Michael listens to the wrong influences. And, of course, the story of Godfather Part 1 is how Michael comes from being that war hero, army lieutenant, to becoming the head of the crime family. Influence. Who are you influencing? And this, of course, is a real-world problem, too. There's a young boy who's, I think, probably now in seventh grade. who used to be part of our congregation, and his family moved away. And I don't even know where they moved to. And I think about this kid a lot. He's somebody of incredible promise, somebody who just lit up a room, somebody of brightness and potential. But he's also one of these kids who, under the wrong influence, can go the wrong way. And I pray for that boy a lot and think, Lord, send him somebody who will influence him in the right direction. Who are you influencing? Practically, let's look at three areas. In your family life, most obviously, parents influence their children. In fact, you could say that One of the most important things you can do on this earth if you're a parent is to influence your children in the right direction. We have a a family friend who used to say to my mom, Nancy, remember, you're raising husbands. And my mom would, I think that would always depress her. Just think, if these turkeys are going to be somebody's husband, oh man, I pray for my future daughters-in-law. I think she still does, in fact, now that we're married. You're raising future husbands and wives and school principals and bus drivers, and stockbrokers if you're a parent. Listen, no, none of us as parents want our kids to go in the wrong direction and become addicted to drugs and other things, but I don't know we often think enough about actually teaching children what it means to live in a certain way in the world, a way that makes the world a better place, a way that honors God and loves people. Who are you influencing in your family life? Are you, are you teaching, if you're, if you're a parent of boys, are you teaching boys that women have value regardless of what if, regardless of whether they look like the images on the screens or on the magazine covers. I remember when I was uh, in like the sixth grade, I was at a Super Bowl party at my church. And there was a guy there, who, whom I liked, who was talking about how hot he thought Kim Basinger was. Kim Basinger was. And I remember it was, I thought it was such a strange thing for an adult man to be talking like that in front of other people. Because I had never heard my dad talk like that about other women. Particularly if you're a dad, are you teaching Boys, what it means to grow up and to honor women in a certain way? If you're a parent of little girls, are you teaching your girls to grow up and know that they don't need a guy's approval to be valuable people? Are you teaching them that they, as they are, are an incredibly priceless creations of God? Perhaps that's an important thing that we can teach our kids. We have a generation growing up of men who don't know how to honor and respect women and women who think that unless some guy is treating them in a certain way, they don't have any value. I know not everyone here has kids or has kids at home. You still have influence in your families. 
broadly speaking. You, you influence your, 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 uh, your social group, your coworkers. In fact, professionally, let's talk about that. Are you teaching people around you how you want them to behave if you weren't here anymore? Are you teaching the people who work in your office when they're making deals? Are you showing them how to make a deal with integrity? How to make a sales call and honor the person to whom you're speaking? On, when you go away on business trips, are you demonstrating to the younger people in your office who are very impressionable, who are looking up to you, are you demonstrating to them what it looks like to be faithful on the road? And what about in the life of faith? All of us are influencing somebody and we influence them either in a good direction or a bad direction. Are there people in your life who are not where you are in your spiritual journey? And regardless of where you are, there's somebody that's in a different place. It doesn't matter if you think you don't know a whole lot now. There's somebody who knows even less. Are you showing them what it's like to kind of inquire, to be open-minded, to seek after God, to try to live out what it means in the songs we sang, to give all of, all of ourselves to all that we know of God? Who are you influencing? Listen, I, I, I pray that I'm here for the next 80 years and all of us are the same. But you and I know, of course, that life can change in an instant. Because of the way you're living your life, are you influencing people to live after you in a way that will honor God and love people? According to the Lord, Elijah's main job from this point on is to teach Elisha what it means to be a prophet of God. But of course, influence is not only about who you are influencing, it's also, and perhaps this is even more important for many of us, is how you are being influenced. Being an Elisha, so to speak. Elisha has this credible, incredible opportunity to learn from this great prophet. And for 18 years, he learns what it means. How a prophet prays, how a prophet teaches people, how a prophet worries about money and other things. How are you learning about those things? Now, you may be in a, I don't know, maybe you practice karate and you have a sensei. And there's some kind of official mentoring relationship and whatever the sensei does, you do. I don't know if that actually exists, but I've seen movies and at least in movies that exists. So maybe you have an official mentor. But more likely, you have unofficial mentors. In fact, you might have people in your life that you are allowing to influence you that you have not even made clear in your mind that you're allowing them to influence you. In other words, when you're at work, are you allowing somebody who is further down the career ladder than you or who is older or has more experience, are you allowing the right sort of those people to influence you or not? Are you saying, I want to be a parent like that, I want to do deals like that, I want to be a teacher like that, I want to be a neighbor like that and finding the right sorts of people. Because see, what happens is if you're not intentional about it, you become just be influenced by whoever is most prominent in your life. Again, one of the saddest stories are the examples of people of promise who unintentionally allow themselves to be influenced in the wrong direction. I'd suggest that very, very, very few people set out and say, I want a mentor that will take me in a bad direction. Some people might make those choices, but most of us, we just end up where we've been going all along without even really thinking through it. So, for example, if you're a parent again, I don't know 
my wife and I have a small son. We don't know anything about being parents. We're, we're at a loss about it. And so one of the things we've tried to do is find parents that we see whom we respect. Whom I can say, man, I want to be a dad like that guy. My wife can see, man, I want to be a mom like that lady. And we can see what it means to parent kids who are not just the ages of our small son, but of older kids, of middle school age kids, of teenage kids, of even young adult children. I'd suggest if you're a parent, one of the most important things you can do is find mentors. They don't have to be official. You don't have to fill out an application. The people that you know in your life that you might think, I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like to be like them when I'm a little bit older. What about in your work life? Now, obviously, if you are just starting out, if you don't have a whole lot of experience in your field, it's clear how you might want to have a mentor of a certain type and say, I hope when I'm 60, I live a life like that and not like that. And I'm sure in your offices or in your field or in your places of work, there are people whom you could honestly say, if I were like that when I, in 40 years, it'd be a, a blessing. Or, boy, I hope I never turned out, turned out like that person. So then make it, make it a conscious effort in your mind to follow somebody. But let's say you're further along. You are now the 60-year-old, the 65-year-old, the person with 50 years of experience, wherever you are, the person at the top in your particular field. There are clearly other people around you from whom you can also learn. What does it look like then to be the CEO? How do you live your life? What does it look like to have 40 years at your company, to have worked there in, in the, at, at your school for 30 years? You can look around and see other people, and you can say, am I behaving in a way that's a blessing to other people considering the seniority and the talent and success I've had or not? By whom are you being influenced? Elisha has this call from God to allow himself to be influenced by Elijah, this great prophet. But what about you? And what about in your spiritual lives? Regardless of who you are, there are people around you that have a deeper, um, more passionate, more life-giving faith than you. Now, it may mean that you yourself are a very faithful, devout person, but there are always somebody else that, from whom you can learn. But what about today, the people, if you're here today, and you are sort of, um, you're just a, a novice in the Christian life, you're just beginning. Are you finding people of influence who are faithful people to whom you can look and study their lives? See, the Christian life is not really about intellectual things so much as it is watching other people live their lives. I heard a great story about a guy who had been in Israel, modern-day Israel, and he was at a, like a national park and there was a, 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 like a small house, a restroom, a little rest area station. And he was inside the men's room and a rabbi, an orthodox rabbi came in and all the little boys who were following the rabbi came in too. And do you know why they came in to follow him into the men's room? Because they wanted to see if there's a special prayer you're supposed to pray when you were taking care of business in the men's room. They wanted to be everything like their rabbi. It's a beautiful image, although a little bit of a, a strange one. But I like the idea of thinking, I want to know how to pray before I eat. I want to know what it means to worship God on Sunday morning. I want to know what to do when I have doubts. I want to know where to go when I don't understand parts of Christian doctrine. If you're serious about the journey of faith, you need to have the right sorts of people in front of you to influence you, regardless of who you are. And in fact, the idea of influence and teaching is at the very heart of first the Jewish faith and now the Christian faith. What is Elijah doing here? 
he's gathering a disciple. That is, someone who's trying to be like the master. In this case, Elisha. What is the first thing that Jesus does in his ministry? He gathers around him 12 disciples. See, the Christian life is about teaching and about modeling and about using influence in a certain way. And so for all of us here today, I'd like to encourage you to become a disciple of Jesus. I'd like to encourage you to learn how to live life the way Jesus lived. The reason that we have four Gospels that are filled with so much teaching is to give us material about how to live a life according to Jesus. I've used this example in other places, but now it's Lent, it's an appropriate time to begin a new spiritual discipline. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of the things when you read them you'll understand immediately, and some things take, I think, a lifetime to really understand and to take root in your heart. What I might want to suggest for you to start Why not today, first day of the week? Pick a gospel and read one chapter. And read one chapter tomorrow and so on. Take a month to read a gospel and then read the next one and then read the next one. There are four gospels, 12 months in a year. You'll read each gospel several times a year. What would that look like in your life if you made yourself a disciple of Jesus in that way and said, I want to learn everything about my master and my Lord so I can become like him the way Elisha was being trained to become like Elijah? That would be an incredible thing. And the Gospels are such a gift from God because you don't ever master them. You don't read them once and know about them. You read them for a lifetime and they work in you. They're living and active. But the reason this is so important is because each of us only has one life to live. So in this one life, who are you going to influence to live after you've gone? And how are you going to be influenced while you're living? This past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. I love Ash Wednesday. It's one of my favorite of the Christ, uh, holidays of the Christian year. Christmas Eve is luminous and beautiful in my mind, and Ash Wednesday is spare and beautiful. It's a powerful experience. And what happened on Ash Wednesday, I had a little bowl of last year's palm branches. And people came down front right there, and I made a mark of a cross on their head in ashes and said, Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Repent. And believe the gospel. And what was most moving for me in that experience was to have small children come up. These kids who have all their lives in front of them. But to still on their foreheads remind them and remind myself that even youth one day is going to come to the end of its time and die. Even small children are mortal. Remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. Repent and believe the gospel. Discipleship is very important. It's very important to have the right master, in this case Jesus, and to learn from him. But it's not just about learning. Jesus is not just about being a teacher. There's this great passage in John's Gospel, chapter 6, where Jesus has had some hard teaching, and a lot of people have left. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you going to leave too? And Peter says in John chapter 6, Lord, where would we go? And then he has this great line. Only you have the words of everlasting life. The reason it's important to become a disciple of Jesus is because only Jesus is the one who has not just the right information about this life, but about the life to come. Only Christ has words of eternal life about living now in such a way, and regardless of the time death comes, to never ever stop living. It is only in the power of God made manifest in Jesus Christ that 
dust and dead things and burned things and ashes can be given new life in Christ. So that means today, regardless of who you are, I'd like to offer you the opportunity to become a disciple of Jesus. Our Lord can take any life, any life, any life, and teach you a new way to live and offer that person the words of eternal life. Would you accept that offer of discipleship today? Let's pray. Lord, I know I often want to echo Peter's words where what you have to say is hard and difficult and I'm often afraid, but I don't know where else to go. Lord, would you, in my life and the lives of the people here, would you make manifest what it means, the words of eternal life? Would you teach us how to live in a certain way? Would you bring us in a year, in five years, to a deeper place of discipleship so that we are more like you when we get up on Monday morning, when we make deals, when we put our kids to bed, when we put steaks on the grill, when we write our checks, when we're in the Walmart, so that we are more like you because we've become your disciples than we are today. We ask all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.